Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would, get your Bibles out and open them up to Luke, the 15th chapter. Luke, chapter 15, going to read a segment of probably one of the most well-known parables in all of the New Testament. Going to read it there at the top of the parable of the prodigal son, and you'll be most benefited tonight if you'll get your Bibles out and be following along. And I really want to especially encourage our young people, if you're old enough to... Get a Bible out and turn the pages to the passages and you're able to read some. Uh, let's do that. At the very least, let's scooch up next to mom or to dad and uh, have them show us in the Bible because I am talking especially to young people tonight. Uh, and so you'll be helped if you get in the Bible too. Great to see everybody this evening. So glad that you have uh, made the decision to uh, come and to be with God's people once again this evening. It's been kind of an icky and rainy last couple of days, but um, it's the day that the Lord has made. It's the first day of the week, and uh, even though it's on the tail end of the first day of the week, it's still the best day of the week, Sunday. Love our, our chances and opportunities to be together and to worship and right now to study from God's Word. I'm reading here in Luke chapter 15. This is... At the introduction to the parable of the prodigal son, I'm not going to read the whole parable. I trust you know this parable. I'm going to read right here at the beginning. In Luke 15, beginning in verse 11, there the Bible says that there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And so he divided his property between them. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. He went into a far country. What do you think that that young man's dad said to him as he went out the door? Have you ever thought about that? As that young man is about to leave home, what do you think his dad said to him? I wonder if maybe his dad said to him, All right, good luck, don't forget to write. Maybe his dad said, Well... All right, just watch out for pigs. Or maybe his dad simply said, I love you, son. Maybe he said, son, don't go. You're making a terrible mistake. Or maybe that father just simply said, son, I just want you to remember that you can always come home. I don't know what that father said to his son as he was walking out the door. But tomorrow morning, a whole bunch of young people, a whole bunch of students are going to be walking out the front door. Because after much delay and after much preparation, students enrolled in Pulaski County public schools are going to have the opportunity to attend in-person classes for the very first time this school year. It does seem really, really odd that I am preaching a back-to-school sermon here in the middle of October, but... I suppose that's kind of par for the course with this very strange year that we have had. And while some of our kids are already back to in-person learning, for many others tomorrow, tomorrow is the beginning. Tomorrow is day one. But you know what? Just like the prodigal son here who walked out that door and he went somewhere and he ended up making a complete mess of everything, those of us who are parents, we have some level of anxiety. We have some level of, of worry and stress and concern about our kids walking out the front door, leaving our parental care and oversight, and going somewhere where they might make a mess out of everything. Which is why this evening, before they ever even get on that school bus, or before we ever even drop them off at the front door of the school, 
what we want to do is we want to say something to them. We want to say something to them that will remind them of who they are and to prepare them for what they ought to be when they go to school. And this year's back-to-school sermon is very unique for me because this is the first time that I am preaching as the parent of one of those students. I officially, Tiffany and I, we have a kindergartner in our home. And that's why I have titled this sermon with very personal pronouns because there are some things that I want to say to my daughter as she ventures into a brand new world and a brand new environment. But the truth of the matter is, I can say these same exact things to your kids because the things that I have to say this evening are not my opinions. They are not my ideas. They are not my preferences. No, what I have to say this evening, it is derived from the Word of God. It is Scripture. It is the Bible that is to guide and direct and govern every facet of our lives. And yes, that even includes when we go to school. Young people, did you know that the Bible has some things to say to you about going to school? This evening, whether you are a kindergartner or whether you're a senior in high school, whether you're in in-person classes or whether you're still doing virtual classes. I'm talking to my child and I'm talking to every other child who is a student this year. I've got four things in particular out of the Word of God that I need you to remember as you head off to school. Are you ready for that? Parents, adults, grandmas, granddads, listen, you want to hang in here as well? These are four principles that have wide-ranging application, but I am honing the application tonight to students, to young people, four things you need to know as you head to school. Number one, number one, young people, I want you to know that when you go to school, you need to always show respect to those who are in authority. Let's get a little bit of Bible going. Look in Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Moms and dads, let's help our kids with some of those Bible verses. In Proverbs chapter 1, what we learn here at the beginning of the book of Proverbs is that one of the ways that we show respect is by listening. We listen to what we're told in Proverbs chapter 1 and in verse 8. Solomon says, Hear, my son, hear your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Do you see there? Underscore. The operative word here is we need to hear. We need to listen to what others are trying to tell us. Now, as that passage points out, it may be mama and daddy at home. But you know what? It may also be our teachers at school. We need to listen to people who are in those positions of authority. In fact, look over in Proverbs 5. In Proverbs chapter 5, here's what happens when you don't show respect. Here's what happens when you don't listen. In Proverbs chapter 5, this is verse 13. Proverbs 5 verse 13, I did not listen to the voice of my teachers. I did not incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin because I didn't listen. Who, who, who wants to end up like that guy? Who wants to turn out like that, be in utter ruin? Because I didn't listen, because I didn't show respect. If we're still here in Proverbs, just look one more time in Proverbs 15. In Proverbs chapter 15, look in verse 32. In Proverbs chapter 15 and in verse 32, whoever ignores instruction despises himself. 
but he who listens gains intelligence. We want to become wise. We want to be intelligent. And that comes, according to the wise man, that comes whenever we respect, whenever we listen to those who are older, those who are wiser, those who are in positions of authority. I say this because we are living in a day and time when people don't show a whole lot of respect for authority figures. That's been very much on display this year in particular, I believe. Everybody, of course, wants to be free. We like having our freedoms, which of course apparently means, well, I don't have to do what anybody says. I'm free. I don't have to respect or listen to what you have to say or he has to say or she has to say. Our society just majors in disrespect. You ask any police officer if he or she is shown much respect by the public at large. Ask any boss in a workplace if he or she is given the due respect by their employees. I certainly don't profess to have all of the answers for all of our society's problems, but I do wonder how different our country, our nation would be if every single student, young people, if they started showing respect at an early age to their teachers, to their principals, to their guidance counselors, to all of these other people that you're going to encounter when you go to school tomorrow morning. I'm asking right now, young people, are you, are you ready to do that? Are you going to do that? Are you going to show respect at school by listening to those who are in authority? I remember when I was going to school... I hated all of the technical grammar stuff that we had to learn in English class. I mean, come on, who who really cares about conjugating verbs? Why do we need to know about dangling participles? I'm pretty sure I've never utilized a dangling participle in my entire life. I even said that to my English teacher one year. I said, why do we need to learn about all this junk? Man. That was pretty bold, but you know what? That was pretty foolish of me. How arrogant was I? I was just a kid. What made me think that at the brilliant age of 13 that I had any idea of what it is that I should be taught? That I had any idea of the kinds of things that I would need in the real world someday? Here I was. I was sitting in judgment of the school curriculum, sitting in judgment of the teacher herself. How foolish is that? Because here I am now, some 22 years removed from being in the public school system. And I now, I make my living using the English language. I am making use of that right now as I speak to you. I use what I learned in Pam Martin's English class. I now use it every day of my life. I should have shown more respect. I should have closed my mouth. I should have listened to what it was that I was being taught. Let me add one more verse in this connection in the book of James. In James chapter 1, James is kind of often referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. So this just fits well with those other verses we just read from Proverbs. In James chapter 1, look in verse 19. James 1 verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to talking, 
That's a great verse, isn't it? That's a great verse that summarizes how we can show respect at school to people who are in authority. And maybe right here before I leave this point, I should say just a quick word of application to moms and dads and adults, parents. Parents, what kind of example are you setting here? How do you talk about about school administrators? How do you talk about coaches and how do you talk about teachers? What do you say in your home? Are you teaching your kids to respect others' authority by how you respect others' authority? This is really vital, isn't it? This is so important. Because learning to respect human authority figures, that prepares us and that trains us to respect God as the ultimate divine authority figure. And so young people, when you go to school tomorrow, you will have the opportunity to practice and to develop the skill of respecting those who are in authority by listening to them. And I'm going to tell you, that is a skill that you will need for the whole rest of your life, especially if you want to serve God and go to heaven someday. Which leads right into this second important thing that I want to say to you, my child, my children, if you will, as you head off to school. And that is that secondly... Secondly, you need to always make sure that at school you work hard and that you do your best. That's so important. Now, you may not think that the Bible would have a whole lot to say about all this as it pertains to school, but I think you would actually be wrong about that. Look with me, for example, in Proverbs chapter 13. Go back to Proverbs again. In Proverbs 13, I'm reading here in verse 4. Proverbs 13, this is verse 4. The wise man says here, the soul of the sluggard. What's a sluggard? A sluggard is a lazy person. Somebody who's just kind of lackadaisical and doesn't get much done. A sluggard, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. While the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Do you know what that word diligent means? Diligent means to work hard. It means to apply yourself. It means doing your best. That's what's going on there. And in fact, the blessings come to those who are doing their best, who are putting forth maximum effort, not minimum effort. In fact, I'll show you the New Testament counterpart to that in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul talks here to slaves. And yeah, he's talking to real, literal slaves here, but of course, how do we often feel about school? Oh, I feel like a slave when I'm at school. That's how they treat me there. I'm just a slave and away. Okay. Well, here's your verse if you feel like a slave at school. In Colossians chapter 3, this is verse 22. There Paul writes, he says, He says, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the principle here? It is plain and it is clear. 
that we need to do the best that we can in our work. We need to work hard in whatever it is that we are doing. And why? Because as Paul says, we're working for the Lord. And that, of course, changes the way that we work. That changes how we think about our work. And it demands of us that we're always going to do our best, to be diligent. And I want you to listen right here, young people. You don't get a pass here. Some of you right now are thinking to yourself, well, that's talking about work. That's talking about a job. I don't have a job. Oh, contraire. Young people, your job, your work right now is school work. It's home work. And you need to be doing that work the best that you can. Isn't that what Jesus would want us to do? You know, doesn't Jesus expect us to do the very best that we can? I think if we're being honest, we probably would have to admit that many times we don't do our best. We're not putting forth the maximum effort that we could. And that's especially true in school. I can remember when I was in the 11th grade, we got a new math teacher. I think he was maybe still in his student teaching phase, but he eventually became full-time. Mr. Brenda was his name. And I had pre-calculus with Mr. Brenda, and he, in my opinion at that time, was the worst teacher ever. It's funny because Mr. Brenda is now a state representative here in Kentucky, but I just thought he was awful as a teacher. I mean, he couldn't teach a fish to swim. He was just terrible. And they put him in charge of teaching calculus. I mean, come on, that's hard stuff by itself. And Mr. Brenda wasn't making it any easier. And so, in light of Colossians chapter 3, do you know what I did in that class? What I did is I did not do my best. What I did is I used the teacher as an excuse to not really pay attention. I mean, come on, what good is it doing anyway? I just kind of slopped along and I whined and I groaned and I just barely got by. I had a bad attitude toward that class. Had a bad attitude toward the teacher. Had a bad work ethic in the class. Just bad all around. Somebody's maybe asking right now, Josh, did you pass the class? Yes, I passed the class. I got a B. It, it actually, I come to find out it really wasn't as hard as I was making it out to be. I got the passing grade. I got through it, but... But I must confess to you, I didn't do Colossians chapter 3. That's what's sad. What I should have seen is that I wasn't working for Mr. Brenda. In fact, I wasn't even working to try to get a good grade for my mom and for my dad. What I should have seen is that I was working for the Lord. And you know what? If Jesus had came into that class one day, if Jesus had walked into the room and said, Hey, everybody, I'm Jesus. I'm going to be subbing for Mr. Brenda today. Uh, Josh, let me give you the chalk here. Would you please come up to the board and do this problem for us? Would you solve this for us? Well, what happened is, is I would have been humiliated. I would have been embarrassed. Because at that time, I wasn't really trying. I wasn't applying myself. I wasn't doing my best. And if Jesus had shown up, all that would have revealed was that I was utterly failing in living up to Colossians chapter 3. And once again, the truth is, Colossians chapter 3, this is a lifetime principle. 
Kids, you just might as well get used to this right now. Because this is the kind of thing that is going to guide us all throughout all of our lives because a day is going to come where you are going to get old enough to maybe get yourself a part-time job. And that may not be the greatest job in the world. You may be flipping burgers at a fast food joint. You may be babysitting a bunch of ankle biters. You may be doing some other kind of job for cash that you just don't really care for. But you know what you're going to do? What you're going to need to do is do your best. Why? Because you're working for the Lord. And then, of course, when you get a little bit older than that, what are you going to need to do? Well, you're hopefully going to get a, going to get a full-time job. You're going to go through college or go through trade school or maybe just go right into the workforce and you're going to get a position that's going to be your job. It's going to be your career. And you know what? Hopefully, there'll be things about that job that you really, really like. But I'm sure there will be other things about that job that you just really don't like at all. And you know what you're going to do in that situation? You're going to work hard and you're going to do your best. Why? Because you're working for the Lord. You'll need to be diligent. You'll have to work heartily because you're working for Jesus. And that's going to have to be a lifetime habit. And so young people, let's just go ahead and start with it right now. Let's decide. I'm going to work hard and do my best. No more minimums for me. I'm not going to be one of these students who just does barely enough to get by. Oh, D minus. Hey, that's good enough for me. No. No, 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 no. I'm working for the Lord. I'm going to do my best. That's what Jesus deserves. Now, in close connection with this second thing, I need to tell you this third thing because this is what often we substitute in place of all of that doing our best stuff. What happens is, is we end up doing a lot of complaining. We do a lot of griping and grumbling. And what I'm suggesting to you as you go back to school is you need to do a lot less complaining and you need to have a lot more gratitude. That's what we need here. We need less complaining and more gratitude. I'm looking here now for the book of Philippians chapter 2. Would you find Philippians chapter 2? Being thankful is something that we need to consider as it pertains to school. You know, what is the attitude of most kids towards school? Of course, it's... ah. Yuck, gross, awful, I hate school, I don't like school at all. And you know what? I, I get that. I can sympathize about that. There was a lot about school that I did not like when I was growing up. I hated getting up at the crack of dawn five days a week. I hated having to ride that rickety old school bus miles and miles to get there. In fact, on the school buses back then, there was only like two heaters, one in the front and one in the back, and in the wintertime, it was cold and it was terrible. I hated having to do homework. I hated having to go to bed early. And so what did I do? I complained about that stuff. I moaned about that stuff. I griped about that stuff. But you know what? Now that I am older, now that I am older, I am ashamed in many ways. I'm ashamed that I acted that way. I could have did better than that. Because that's not the kind of attitude that God's people are supposed to have. We probably expect that kind of attitude from people out there in the world. People are going to moan and gripe and complain all the time, go on social media and gripe about all their various woes. But God's people, we're going to be different. We're going to be the ones instead who are thankful. 
Look with me in Philippians chapter 2. hope you've got that queued up now. In Philippians 2, here's a verse that we need to think about, young people, as we head off to school tomorrow. In Philippians chapter 2, this is verse 14. Philippians 2 verse 14. Do all things. That would include school. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Paul says, don't do that. Don't, that that's not the way that God's people act. In fact, just turn back a page or two to the book of Colossians. In Colossians, excuse me, forward a page or two to Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, look in verse 7. Paul says, get the grumbling and the moaning and the complaining out in Colossians 2 verse 7. Instead, you be rooted and built up in Him, establishing the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That's the key. Paul is telling us in these verses we need less grumbling and more gratitude. How refreshing would it be to go to school tomorrow and instead of parents and teachers having to hear the collective sighs and groans of grumbling children, instead what they heard was gratitude. The truth is, you go to school tomorrow, the sounds that you are most liable to hear are probably going to be much more closely akin to that of the Israelites. Do you remember how the Israelites acted? Look in Exodus, please. In Exodus chapter 15, this is just one of many examples. I mean, there's like dozens of examples of this in the Old Testament of the Israelites doing the very thing that it seemed like they just did better than anybody. Moaning, grumbling, complaining. In Exodus 15, look in verse 24. Exodus 15 verse 24, the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? We don't have anything to drink. We don't like what we have to drink. Moses, it's your fault. In fact, it continues on. Chapter 16, chapter 16, verse number 2. Chapter 16, verse 2, the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they grumbled complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The people of Israel said to them, Oh, would that we had just died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out here into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. We ain't got anything to drink. We ain't got anything to eat. And now we're actually saying, we wishing that we were back in slavery in Egypt. Really? Really? That's better than being free and following Moses, God's servant, toward the promised land? Really? I think right here is a really good place for us to try and help our kids to stop and think about what life would be like without school. I think maybe in some respects they've got a taste of that uh, during these last few months with the, the distance learning, the virtual learning, and they maybe have got to see how... Boy, that's just not quite the same as getting to learn in person. But imagine if all of it was gone. I mean, there wasn't any options. Imagine if you didn't go to school and you didn't have anybody who was teaching you how to read, how to be able to understand the English language and read it and understand it. What kind of challenges would that pose for you in your life? Specifically, think about the challenges that would pose for you in being able to read and understand the Bible. To be able to study the Scriptures so that you can know God's will for your life and you can then live what the Bible says. Please don't misunderstand me this evening. I know of people who are illiterate. 
And yet, they have been taught the gospel and they are able to serve the Lord to the very best of their ability despite the fact that they cannot read. But you know what? I think even those folks would tell you that they very much would love to be able to read God's Word for themselves because they would be able to do so much more with that skill. Or think about it as well. What about the ability to, to write? Or the ability to do math? That's some more of that stuff that you learn in school, getting some reading, but also getting some writing and some arithmetic. Think about how important those skills are in being able to get a job and then being able to earn a living and then being able to provide for yourself and for your family. The Bible commands that. Bible says, Bible says, don't be the slothful person. Don't be the sluggard. The Bible says you need to be able to provide. You be, need to be able to work and to do those things. But you know what? Can't read, can't write, can't do math. It's going to really hinder your ability to do that. You see, it's really easy for us to gripe and complain about having to go down to that awful school building five days a week, getting up early and taking up most of the day. But you know what? You just stop and think about how difficult your life would be if you didn't have an education. And I think that puts some things in perspective. In fact... Maybe what you ought to think about, young people, listen to me now, is that tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, there's a lot of kids who won't get to go to school. There are, for example, millions of children in China whose parents tomorrow morning will send them into the rice field to do manual labor. And as well, there are millions of kids in India who will go to work in a sweatshop factory just like they have to do seven days a week. In fact, in places like in Africa and in the Caribbean, there are kids who will roam the streets tomorrow morning. They will be dirty and they will be hungry and with no foreseeable future because because there is no educational system in place by which children can learn and grow and better themselves. Those kids... They would love to go to school. They would. They would trade places with you in a heartbeat. Young people, why can't we be more thankful, have more gratitude for the blessings that God has given us? Yes, even the blessing of going to school. I'll say once again, it takes no effort whatsoever to be a complainer. But it takes some thinking and some consideration to be grateful. Is there a teacher this week, this school year, that you can make an effort to thank them for their hard work? The lunch lady or the janitor or the bus driver, could you say thank you to them for what they're doing to try to help you to go to school and to get an education? Mom and Dad, once again, this is something that you can help out with. This is a place where you can come in and you can kind of set the tone and set the example. Could you send a note to a teacher this year? Man, I've talked to school teachers this year. And man, I just know that they're covered up. You know, their, their workload in many cases is just completely doubled because they're having to do the in-person and the virtual stuff all together. It's just a tough deal to be a teacher and to be involved in school administration. Could you let them know how appreciative you are of the work that they are doing? It seems a lot of times that the only occasions that teachers and parents ever get together to discuss stuff is when things go wrong. Well, how about when your kid comes home and they've, they've had a breakthrough and they've learned something? Well, well, how about we let the teacher know then, hey, 
great job. Thank you so much for what you're doing for them. Let's give them some good news. That kind of gratitude, it can be contagious in your home. If you'll start practicing that in front of your kids so that when they go to school, they'll be ready to practice gratitude themselves. I realize there'll be a lot of things to gripe about and to fuss about this school year. Having to wear a mask, having to be distanced, eating lunch in the classroom, all the other challenges that we're facing. But this will be a test. This will be a test to see exactly what you're made of, young people, to grumble less and be grateful more. Which brings me to this final thing that I want to say to you, that I want to say to my daughter, and I want to say to all of our kids. And that is, before you leave the house and before you go to school tomorrow, I want you to know and I want you to understand how important it is that you are kind and compassionate to others. In the Bible, God's people oftentimes are the ones who are on the receiving end of troubles and abuse of every kind. Look, for example, with me in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Since God's people oftentimes were ran over and trampled on by others, God wanted His people to remember how that felt, how terrible that felt, how, how it felt to be mistreated. And then when they saw others who were being mistreated, He wanted them to extend compassion toward them. And so in Deuteronomy 24, look in verse 17, as God speaks through Moses to His people, He says, You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner, that's like a visitor, or to the fatherless, that's an orphan, or take a widow's garment in pledge. Don't do that. Don't, don't mistreat people like that. Verse 18 now, But you shall remember that you were once a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. What God says here is that I want you to remember what it felt like to be mistreated, to just be run over. Because I want you, when you see others who are being treated that way, I want you to show compassion for them. Just like I've shown compassion to you, you know how bad that feels. I want you to help those people. The New Testament counterpart to that would once again be in Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, as Paul gives this big long list of just practical things to do, God's people, this is, this is the stuff that's supposed to, to just absolutely categorize who and what we are. In Colossians chapter 3, I'm reading here in verse 12, he says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. These are passages that talk about having a heart that cares and has concern for other people. Instead of me only looking out for myself all the time, it's all about me, the Bible says, I need to think about others. Let me share with you a letter that... A parent reads each year to her child as her child goes off to school. Now, I don't know if the lady who originally wrote this, if she is a Christian or not, but you listen to this letter because I think she knows some stuff about compassion. In fact, I think I read this letter several years ago, but I'm going to read it again with a twist. I want to make it more personal. I want to make this, I'm saying this to my daughter, and you think about how you would say this to your children. So, dear Hattie... Tomorrow is a big day, 
Kindergarten. Wow. You're going to school. I remember when I was in school, there was a little boy in my class named Kevin. Kevin looked a little different. And he wore funny clothes, and sometimes he even smelled a little bit. Kevin didn't smile. He hung his head low, and he never looked at anyone in the eye. Kevin never did his homework. I don't think his parents reminded him like yours do. And the other kids teased Kevin a lot. Whenever they did, his head hung lower and lower and lower. I never teased him, but I never told the other kids to stop either. And I never talked to Kevin, not once. I never invited him to sit next to me at lunch or to play with me at recess. Instead, he sat and played by himself. He must have been very lonely. I still think about Kevin. And I wonder sometimes if Kevin remembers me. Probably not. But I bet if I had asked him to play just once, that he would still remember me. Hattie, I think that God puts people in our lives as gifts to us. The children in your class this year, they are God's gifts to you. So please treat each one of them like a gift from God. Hattie, if you see a child being left out or hurt or teased, a part of your heart will hurt a little. And your mommy and I, we want you to trust that heartache. Your whole life, we want you to notice and trust that heartache. That heartache is called compassion. And it is God's signal to you to do something. It is God saying, Hattie, wake up. One of my babies is hurting. Do something to help them. Whenever you feel compassion, you be excited. Because in a way, it means God is talking to you and He is trusting you and He needs you. Sometimes that feeling of compassion will make you step right into the middle of a bad situation. Compassion might also lead you to tell a teaser to stop it and then to ask the kid that's being teased to come and play with you. You might invite a left-out kid to sit next to you at lunch. Or you might choose a kid for your team first who's always chosen last. These things will be hard to do. But Hattie, you can do hard things. Sometimes you'll feel compassion, but you won't step in right away. And that's okay too. You might choose instead to tell your teacher and then to tell us, we're on your team. We're on your whole class's team. Asking for help for someone who is hurting, that's not tattling. That's doing the right thing. Please tell us. When your heart hurts for another person, when you feel compassion, you have to do something. Don't ignore what God has placed in your heart. I wish I hadn't ignored it with Kevin. I remember feeling compassion, but I chose fear over that compassion. And I wish I hadn't. Hattie, your mommy and I, we don't care if you're the smartest or the fastest or the coolest or the funniest. There'll be lots of contests at school and we don't care if you win a single one of them. We don't care if you get straight A's because we don't send you to school to become the best or to earn our love. We already love you as much as we possibly can. We send you to school to practice being brave and being kind. Kind people are brave people. Brave is not a feeling that you should wait for. It's a decision. It's a decision that compassion is more than fear. It's more than fitting in. It's more than following the crowd. You don't have to be the best. Just be grateful 
Be kind. Be brave. Love your daddy. I read that letter and it takes on a level of poignancy now that it didn't the first time that I read it years ago. And I think about not just Kevin, but other kids in school that I wasn't kind to. And I did not show compassion for. And I so much wish that I could go back in time and tell them I'm sorry and more importantly to do differently. I wish I had been more like Christ toward them. They were God's children. With me in Matthew the ninth chapter, please. In Matthew chapter 9, if the essence of Christianity is being like Jesus, and it is, to look at the world the way that Jesus looked at the world, to treat people the way that Jesus treated people, then think about that in Matthew chapter 9 and in verse 36. In Matthew 9 and in verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion for people. Young people, listen to me. Tomorrow or this week or sometime this school year, you're going to see a kid get left out. You're going to see a kid who doesn't fit in. You're going to see a kid who's being picked at and made fun of. And what you need to ask yourself in that moment is, what would Jesus do for that kid? What would Jesus do if He was in my shoes right now? When you feel that stirring in your heart, and you know that compassion is what is calling you, what you will recognize is that you have an opportunity right then and right there to be brave and to show kindness to that boy or to that girl. Which means then that in a very real way, going to school, going to school is going to give you opportunities to be like Jesus. That, that's a great opportunity. And so, tomorrow morning, there will be many parents who are going to be thinking about what they want to say to their kiddos as they walk out the door. And while I'm not really sure what the prodigal's father said to his son as he marched out into the world and went off into the far country, I am sure of at least this. I'm sure that that father, he loved his son very much. And he wanted so much to see his son succeed in life and be able to stand on his own two feet, but not at the expense of doing what was right. What he wanted for his child is the exact same thing that we want for our children. And that is that they will exhibit Christ-like character at home, at church, at play, and yes, even at school. In fact, I think I can even sum up all four of these points with just one verse. Kiddos, if you will grab a hold of this one verse, if you'll understand it, if you'll accept it, if you'll believe it, I think you'll be able to do all of this stuff. And in reality, this one verse says the most important thing that I want you to know, Hattie, I want you to know more than anything else when you go to school. It's what God said to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 and in verse 9. 
He said, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Mom and Daddy may not get to be with you at school. But what we want you to know is that God is with you. And He will help you. He will help you to show respect and to work hard and to be thankful and to have compassion so that you can make not just us proud, but more importantly, you can make God proud. Would you pray with me? Let's go to God in a word of prayer. Our dear gracious God and our Father in heaven, Father, we come before you this evening so thankful to you for your word and the way that it does guide and instruct us in every facet of our lives. Father, we thank you this evening for how your word guides us and directs us, specifically how it helps our young people as they're about to go back to school. Father, we as parents, we do have anxieties and concerns about uh, letting our children go and to be by themselves in that place. But, Father, we have some measure of solace because of what your word has provided for us, the uh, guidance that it provides even for very young hearts so that they can know how it is that they ought to live while they're at school. Father, we pray that you would bless your word in their hearts. We pray, Father, as well, that you would protect them, that you would keep them safe. There are lots of concerns with uh, physical uh, safety this school year, and we pray your blessings upon each and every one of them. Help us, Father, that we might encourage one another through your word and through your promises, and that we would not be fearful, but instead that we would trust in you. Father, we pray that you would bless our students. Pray that you would bless us as parents. Bless us all, Father, and wherever we are and whatever we're doing, that we would know that you are there and that you wish to help us. We thank you so much for Jesus, the perfect example and the perfect model for how it is to, to live and to be. And we thank you for his sacrifice on the cross that makes salvation possible, makes it possible for us to come before you right now and to offer our prayers and our petitions. And it is through his name, the glorious name of Jesus, that we pray. And amen.